I am in the middle of a sermon series uh, that is entitled Becoming a Contagious Christian. Um, and this is part two of that series. There will be one, third, one more part next week. And if you're interested to see what part one is like, you can go on our website, the Naples Gathering. Uh, .org, and you'll be able to get that and see it. You can see it live. It's uh, recorded. We record all of our uh, sermons, both here and on the Monday morning, and so it's all available on that website. And so here we are in part two, becoming a courageous Christian. And you know what I, I spoke about last week? I said, God put on my heart the fact that for many of us, we have been huddling up like a football team, huddling up for years, huddling up. We go to church, we huddle up. We come out of church, we huddle up. But we never go to the line of scrimmage. We never actually run a play. And why I say that is the play is to go out into the world and to reach people who have not heard about Jesus, who are people who are lost, and give them the message of hope and love that God has already given you and show them how your heart has been touched. And so that's the essence of why you have been called as a Christian, you see? God called you as a Christian, not just that you spend your life going to church, and we love church. I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to come here and see you and gather with you and love you and feel your affirmation towards me. I can't, I can't wait for this. But this is your team, you see? This is your team. We inspire you. We lift you up. But this isn't the end game of why God has called you. The end game of why God has called you is out in the street, out in the towns, out in the suburbs, uh, to impact people uh, in a way that God wants you to impact people. And so we've been talking, really. We started last week about the characteristics that you need in order to become a contagious Christian. Um, and, and we see that. The, the first characteristic I want to bring to your attention this week is compassion. God wants you to be compassionate. Um, and so the, the uh, issue of compassion is critical. And there is a tremendous pulling power in a single act of kindness. A single act of kindness to the world blows the world away. The, the greatest example of that is in Luke 10, in the story of the Good Samaritan, where you know that story, where, where uh, an individual is struck down on the side of the road and lies there ble ble uh, bleeding, and a priest and a Levite walk by and go on the other side of the road because they don't want to get involved. They don't want to get involved. It's too messy. It's too time-consuming. They don't want to do it. But then the Samaritan, the reviled Samaritan, and that's why Jesus used that parable and used the, the, the nature of the Samaritan. The reviled one takes their stops, takes the time, lifts that person up, carries him into an inn, pays for his stay at the inn, tells the innkeeper that here's extra money, that, that when this man needs more help, give it to him, and that when he will come back, he will reimburse the innkeeper. You see, Jesus said that is the essence of what we are called to do. That describes what we are called to do. And so we have a tremendous responsibility to care for people and love people. And so God wants us to draw people to him through compassion. Look on the screen at John 13, verses 34 to 35. Jesus gives us this new command. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How do you think people know that we're called as Christians? Because they see love emanating from our lives. 
They see how we treat each other. Then they see even how we treat strangers, that we have tremendous amounts of compassion and love. That's the, that's the essence of what it means to be authentic. That's the essence of what Christ has inspired us to do. And so how often, I have to ask you, when you don't ask, answer me now, this is between you and God, how often have you truly felt compassion for people in need? And how often have you followed that feeling uh, and actually helped someone? Or do you say, as many people say, well, you know, what are we going to do? You know, if I had to help everybody, we couldn't help anyone. Uh, and instead, you go and walk on the other side of the street. But I have to say to you today, I'm inspiring you to say stop. That when you see that need, stop. And you ask, see that need, you ask God to touch your life and touch your heart and illumine you. I want you to look at what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's the nature of God. God has called us to love. And I'm sorry to say that you can go to a lot of churches today and you won't feel love. You won't feel love. But I'm hoping that God has put his Holy Spirit in this church, that when you walk into this church, I hope you are overcome by a feeling of love. I hope you're overcome by the feeling of affirmation because that's what God has called us to do. And if we fail to do this, then we fail as a church and we fail as Christians because that's what God wants us to do. And so here's the thing. We need to have compassion touch our lives and rise out of our lives. Uh, and the problem is that today so many of us are consumed with so many other issues in our lives. Life is tough. I understand that. Life is tough. We're consumed by these things. And But even as life gets more demanding and your call on your time is more demanding, God expects you to embrace love even more. Uh, and so uh, clearly, clearly God wants us to reach out to a world that absolutely uh, is desperate for love. And so one of the reasons that some of us lack compassion is that we are totally consumed in our own lives. We just think about ourselves, our own issues. Uh, and as we receive good gifts, good gifts from the Father in the form of salvation and guidance and forgiveness and answered prayer, we must pass that on to others. Why wouldn't you want to tell people who are lost that what you have, how God has lifted you up, how he saved you, how you have a peace in your heart that nothing in the world can ever give you, that you know from moment to moment where you will be if you are called home? Do you realize how many people walk in fear of death? But we don't. We don't walk in fear of death. Look, we know that if we're called home now, in the next instant we'll be with Jesus. Amen? You realize what that is? What, an, what a, a powerful statement that is about what God has given us. And so we must pass this on to others. It's our responsibility to pass it on. And so God is lifting us up and making, it, making this uh, inspirational in our lives because he wants us to pass this on to the lost world. Now, another critical characteristic of being a con contagious Christian is sacrifice sacrifice, meaning it's not just about us. It's not just about feeling good. It's not just about my wants and my needs. It's about other people. I don't think of myself first, but I think of other people and what they need. Uh, and, and this becomes a sacrifice to others in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And so Jesus gave us, he gave us the prototype. You saw what the Lord did. He never did anything for himself. He constantly lifted up other people. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his life for you. And so he's instructing us in the same way to live that kind of life. And so there it is. Sacrifice our time. Sacrifice our treasure. And sacrifice our bodies, our very bodies, uh, as witnesses to Christ in a very positive way. Look at Romans 12 on the board. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Imagine that. There's your sacrifice in your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lift up your body as the ultimate sacrifice to God. It's as if we say, Father, I will do what you want. I will go where you want. I will be what you want, Father. You have saved me, and I will walk with you. And continuing on in that verse, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Wow, what a statement of that is, that every step we take, every breath that we take, we dedicate our bodies to the service of God and lift it up so that God is lifted up. And that's how we go out in the world. That's how we impact people. That's how people who don't know who we are, who meet us for the first time, come away and say, wow, I don't know that guy. I don't know that lady, but there's something different about them. I don't know what it is. I want to get to know them. I'd like to see where they are. And then you give them an, an invitation to church to be a part of where you are, where you're being uplifted, and guess what? They come. They come because you've inspired them. Your life has inspired them. And then we have a chance to talk to them and open the, their, their eyes about what God is doing of, through you for them. It becomes incredible. And so this sacrifice means that you have maintained a high integrity in your life, a high level of compassion that you sacrifice daily, that you commit yourself to a godly life day after day. Why do I say that? Because if you don't commit yourself to a godly life, your life will not serve as the poster child for Jesus Christ. All right? That's as simple as that. All right? And so I'm conscious of that. That's why I constantly pray, Lord, help me. Don't let me do something stupid. Don't let me say something stupid, Lord. Convict me. Let me be aware of what you expect from me so that when I go out into the world and I speak to people in the world, they can recognize that I am a child of God. And so let me say something to you now. I want to give you an example. And many of you know this example, but about four years ago, uh, in my old church, I ran across a lady one day who was presenting her four grandchildren, uh, and we heard that she had just adopted her grandchildren, and they were the ages of nine, seven, four, and 18 months. And when I saw this, my breath was taken away, and I said, oh, Lord, that grandmother is by herself, and she's adopting these kids. And then the pastor said, well, her, your family, any of your friends and family who are here with you, I invite them to rise up so they can be acknowledged. And nobody got up. Nobody got up. I can't tell you the amount of conviction that God laid on my heart 
convicted me. And so I went home and I tried to sleep that night and I couldn't sleep all night long. God really, really wrestled with me on that. And so when I got up the next morning, I called the church and I said, well, tell me, really, what's the backstory here? What's going on? Well, John, it's a very sad story. Uh, this woman uh, and her son and her daughter-in-law and these four children all lived in a 600-square-foot trailer. And uh, the son was mentally imbalanced. And one day he got up, and out in the driveway outside the trailer, he murdered his wife, and he committed suicide. And then their bodies lay there for seven hours until uh, the county came and took it away. I said, this is awful. They're living in a 600-square-foot dilapidated trailer. What are we doing for them? Well, John, what can we do for them? You understand? What can we do for them? Because if we do something for them, you know what? Then we'll have to do for a lot of other people. Well, you want to know something? I rejected that answer. I didn't care for that answer. Because as I was convinced on that point, God had called me to carry the sword forward for these people. So I didn't care if the church was with me, and they weren't with me. And so I went into my classes, my two Bible classes, and then I went into my Monday morning group, and I said to each of them the same story. I want you to know something, that I've been convicted by God about this story, and God has said to me that I am to lead an effort to buy this lady a new place to live. We can't have these children living in a crime scene. We have to take them out and elevate their standard of living. God wants us to do this, and I'm stepping forward to do it, and I'm calling on all of you to come forward with me. And by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the groups basically stood up and came forward with me, and within three months, we raised $200,000. We raised $200,000, we bought her a home, paid for it completely, furnished it completely, and gave her the keys, and their lives were changed forever. That's the essence. I want you to understand, I'm not saying this to lift me up, I put my face in the dust, but the point of it is this, that God expects you to be convicted, he expects you to have love, he expects you to have compassion. Don't give me, well, what can we do? I reject that answer. We can do a lot. And God is calling us to do that. We can do a lot. And so these stories are meant to inspire us. And these kids now are well-adjusted. They're in school. They're in church. Their lives have changed forever. Who knows what would have happened if we didn't step forward? How, how God, how, how evil would have permeated their lives. Look, we, we have to call where God is. We have to answer the call. For God, it's so many important things. And so here's the thing. The next section I want to talk to you about is strategic opportunities. That, my friends, is a strategic opportunity. That God presents you with this need. He shows you this need. Uh, and you know, I'm looking out in this congregation, and I see people that touch my life greatly. There are people in this congregation who have a heart for the homeless. There's a man in this congregation, and I won't embarrass him, but he, I know him. This man brings homeless people into his house. He finds people that are lost and have no place to live, and he brings them into his house. You understand that's the essence of Christianity, all right? Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's time-consuming. 
Yes, it's an, it, it may be imposing on your life. But what are you going to do when you get to heaven and Jesus puts the videotape up? What are you going to say? Oh, Jesus, I don't know. I was a little busy that week. I was a little tied up. Really. I'm telling you right now, don't give that answer. Don't give that answer. You need to understand that this is the essence of why we're called. And so here's the thing. One of the most effective approaches that God expects us to use uh, through churches, through friendships. How many of you have friendships and relationships with people that don't know the Lord? How many of you have those kind of, re of relationships? And God wants you to use those relationships uh, because we talked about salt last week. Jesus said, I want you to be salt. I want you to be salt. Well, here's the thing. The only way salt can be effective is if it's proximate to the food that it needs to be enhanced. All right? Salt isn't good if it just sits in a container. Salt is only good when it's poured out on the food. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. So you have these relationships. You have friends. You have people that know you. and have people that care about you. We'll reach out and touch those people. Speak to them about Jesus Christ. And our, our temptation is to short-circuit the process, you know? Uh, and, and we don't, God really wants us to reach out in a powerful way. And the essence of that, the essence for that is Jesus Christ. Jesus regularly rubbed elbows with the lowest class of humanity. He constantly did that uh, in, the, in the lowest class of humanity. And yet Jesus did it uh, in a powerful way. Uh, and so I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on the board. Paul speaks to us. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. So there you go. There's the greatest apostle in the history of the world, the greatest evangelist telling you that in order to win the hearts of people, that he becomes what they are so that he can have that relationship. Listen, I've told you stories that before I get on an airplane, I pray to the Lord, Father, put me next to somebody that needs to hear your word, to hear your word, Father. And I have to say more often than not, he does. And sometimes I'm too tired to speak, really. Within the last six weeks, I was on a flight uh, this young woman was next to me, and it was coming in late at 11 o'clock at night, and I hadn't slept, and I was tired, but she insisted on talking to me. She insisted on talking to me. And I wasn't in a mood to talk, but I talked. And finally, this young woman, I would say, who was in her early 30s, told me how that she was very lonely, that she was lonely, and, and that all she did was work. She had a high position in a company, and all she did was work. Brilliant young woman. Uh, and finally, I looked at her, and I said, you know, you know what the problem is? I said, you have to make God the centerpiece of your life, all right? Right there on a plane. You need to make God the centerpiece of your life. I wasn't looking to be the most popular guy on the plane, all right? I felt like if God called me to sit on this seat, to sit next to her, then there was some reason where I was doing this. And so after I said that, I opened up my iPad, and I... I turned to the uh, most recent sermon that I had on happiness, and I said, read this. And she read it, the sermon I did uh, about two months ago on happiness. When she gets done, she looks at me and she says, I believe God put you in this seat next to me for a purpose. How about that? I believe God put you in this seat next to me for a purpose. 
And she promised me that someday, even though she was just visiting here, she would come to church. And I believe she will, because I believe if it was God's uh, method to have me speak to her, that she, her heart would be touched. It's no different for you. You understand? I'm not special in this regard. We had another situation on Monday where the guys are, uh, go to Blueberry's Diner after we have the Monday morning uh, Bible study. And there's about 10 of us sitting around a table. And one guy from another part of the restaurant walks by and he looks at us as we're walking out. And he goes, oh, it's good to see all these guys at breakfast. You guys look like you're having a good time. I said, we are having a good time. I said, we just came out of a Bible study. He said, you did? I said, yes, are you a Christian? He goes, yes, I am. I said, well, here, here's a card. Come to church. We'd love to see you. You understand? Just like that. Just like that. So simple, seamless. Uh, it, it's, it's not in any way uh, imposing. Uh, it's a way that God wants you to seamlessly work in your life to tell people what you stand for and what they need to see. This becomes so important for us. So you see Paul telling you that that's how important it is, that you reach out in love to care for the people who are on unchurched. Now, here's the other thing. When you do this, you're going to hear from people who are going to say, going to cite biblical barriers to doing it. You understand what I'm saying. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to go out to the world? You're going to go out and bring in the unwashed masses? You're going to bring people in that are, are, are bar drinkers? All right, or you're going to go to these clubs where people are, and these are the kind of people you're going to associate. Hey, brother, look at these verses that God has. Look in James, it says, friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Friendship from the world is hatred toward God. Well, let me say something to you. Don't take that verse out of context. This is not friendship with the world. That verse relates to evil, to sin. You don't get comfortable with sin, but you get comfortable with the sinner. You love the sinner. You don't affiliate with that lifestyle. We separate that lifestyle from the person, but we embrace that person in love. So don't, don't be put off by people saying that. Another verse that, come, that people cite uh, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Come out from among them and be separate. Listen, that verse was utilized many times in my home church. Be separate. Come out and be separate. Well, here's the problem. When you make that a fundamental purpose of your Christian walk, then your church becomes a fortress church. You understand? It's like a fortress. You're not letting people in, and you're keeping the people that are in from going out. All right? That's not biblical. That's not Christ-like. God wants us to embrace uh, the, uh, the lost. All right? And so we don't want to be. We don't want to be people that, that sit there and keep, and keep the lost from hearing the word of God. Look, if you would, to James chapter 1, verse 27 on the board. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There it is. That's the word of God. God is looking at a religion that lifts up lifts up orphans, lifts up widows, lifts up the helpless, lifts up the destitute, lifts up the lost, and keeps them. And at the same time as we do this, we ourselves kept from being polluted in the world. You see how important this is? You don't stop. You don't stop and, and uh, impact the world because the world is sin, is full of sin. 
you go out and you step and you embrace in love. And I would like nothing better if that one day you just brought in a bunch of people who have never heard about Jesus, who are lost, who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't dress like us. And you know what? Bring them in. I'll put them in the front row. I'll put them in the front row. All right? That's exactly what Jesus did because then he went to their house and he ate with them and he drank with them and he prayed for them and he lifted them up. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 14. It says there, and this is Jesus speaking to God the Father. I have given them your word, Father, and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's the essence of what God has called you to do. Not to take you out of the world, but to keep you in the world. To be able to be the impactful force that God has called upon us to do that. And to change people in such a positive way. And you see that even as Jesus says here, sanctify them by the truth. That's what God wants to do. He wants to anoint you as, as you go out and to sanctify you and to pray for you and to lift you up so that you can do his will and impact these people that are desperate to hear us. And so one of the other verses that comes up from time to time is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. It's on the board. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. So what does that mean? What does that mean, touch no, no unclean thing? This refers to basically being in partnership, alliances with people who are not convicted of the Holy Spirit and are not Christian. It talks about being unequally yoked. We talk about that, unequally yoked, meaning what? That if, if, a, if a believer ma marries an unbeliever, that's a marriage that, that could very conceivably be difficult because you can't walk with God if your partner does not accept God, all right? And so that's what that verse is about. It's not about going out into the world and speaking to the world about what the world needs to hear about Jesus and having their lives changed forever. It's an absolutely different situation completely. And so here's the thing. Uh, when God is calling us to go out in the world like that, sometimes we have to risk our reputation. How about that? We have to, what will my church think of my new friends? Can you imagine? What will, my friend, what will my church friends think of my new friends? Well, you know what? If they're truly sold out for Jesus, they will glorify the fact that you are serving God, that you're going out and bringing the tax collectors and the publicans and the sinners, that you're embracing them because they'll know that you're doing this because you love Jesus Christ, that you love God in the most powerful way. Uh, and so this becomes important. Uh, and so... God wants us to find, find the approach that, that best fits with our life, best fits with our life. Um, and so some people are just waiting, just waiting for a contagious Christian, just waiting for a contagious Christian who won't beat around the bush. They're waiting for somebody to say to them, you want to know something? You need to know about Jesus. And it's almost like, oh, I've been waiting to hear somebody say this uh, and clarify the truth about Christ. And challenge people to live the kind of life that Christ would want to do. 
And so that's one methodology, one approach. Some others uh, are drawn more to the intellectual approach, like Paul, who when he went to Athens, did a philosophical discussion about their many gods and the unknown God. And, and he was able to reach their hearts through that high intellectual discussion. And then there's others who are drawn to Peter's approach, which was basically turn or burn, right? Turn or burn. That's Peter. There are some people that actually look forward to that kind of approach. And so God is saying to you, as you go out there, have the, the idea to listen to what people need, to listen to their hearts, and approach, you, and approach your presentation to them in keeping with that. Uh, and that becomes important as you do this. And so here's the deal. Uh, sometimes one of the approaches that we do is the testimonial approach, okay? The testimonial approach. And the greatest example of that is in John chapter 9. And you know that story. That's where the blind man who was blind for life is met by Jesus. And Jesus heals him, and immediately that man's eyesight is restored. Now, everybody knew that this blind man stayed by the pool in Siloam, and so they saw him there, and suddenly he's healed. And so now uh, those who opposed Jesus were very interested. What is it? How, what happened to you? Uh, and, and why are you healed? And this man didn't get involved in a deep theological discussion. You understand? He didn't get into a deep theological discussion. Look at the essence there. Instead, what did he say? One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. You understand? I was blind, but now I see. Who did it? Jesus did it. That's what I know. Jesus did it. And that's the essence of your life. You were lost, but now you're found. You have a life because you found Jesus Christ. You need to tell that story. Okay, most of us weren't out in the gutter. We weren't out in the curb, but it doesn't matter. We all have some essence of our life that we can talk about that God changed us forever, and we need to tell that story. This is why I say to you, and this is important, that you need to learn to distill your faith into sound bites. You understand? Sound bites, a one or two sentence summary of what you believe in. So that if somebody says to you, well, come on, you don't believe the Bible, do you? That you can respond, yes, I do. It's over 1,600 years, 60, 66 different uh, books, over 40 different authors on three different continents, all with one aspect that's the same, Jesus Christ coming as your Lord and Savior from Genesis to Revelation. Whoa, gee, you talk like that. Let me tell you something. Somebody, somebody's head will snap back. And you recognize, you know, even if they think you're a, little, you're a little crazy. You understand? I understand that, but that's okay. That's okay, because they'll know that you're out there for Jesus Christ, and they'll respect that. Somebody said to me, what about saying, somebody said, come on, why do you believe in Jesus? You Christians make me sick. You always think you have the only way. It's only your way, and all these other good religions are out there, and you won't say that yours is the only way. And the soundbite for that, very simply, in a non-confrontational way, is to very easily say, well, here's the deal. All I know is that Jesus was the only man who died, publicly died, on a cross. That death was viewed by thousands of people. He was buried in a tomb. Uh, hundreds of people saw that. And then three days later, he walked out of the tomb, defeated death, 
and was the only man in the history of the world to defeat death. And he then said that he is the only way to God the Father because he is the Son of God. And 500 eyewitnesses saw him walk around for, five, for 40 days. Well, ladies and gentlemen, all I can tell you is that if that man said that and that man defeated death, well, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to listen to what he says. There it is. No complicated theology. No theology 101, let me take you through the Bible. There it is. Now, when you speak like that in a soundbite, you get people's attention. You understand? You hook them, and they understand what God means to you and what Christ means to you. And so you begin to elevate their eyes. You begin to elevate what God is doing. And so that's what's important for us. That's why God wants us to do this. And so uh, one of the things that we learn here as we study this is we learn that so many people are waiting to have a conversation, are waiting to speak uh, to us, They're waiting to speak to people about what, what Christ means. Uh, in, in, in Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, uh, to the weak I became weak, to, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What does it mean? He never lifted himself up as a superior person. In fact, he became the audience that he was delivering the message to. He went in love to people and embraced them so that they would see that he was like them. He wasn't trying to be special. He was trying to put himself down in the dust. He understood that that was the call of his life. And so that's, that's really what, what our, our call is. And so really, uh, what we learn here, uh, what we learn here is that there are people who are desperate, desperate to hear the, hear the story of Jesus in a powerful way um, and, and uh, really waiting for us to hear. George Barna, uh, that great Christian uh, statistician, found that 25% of the adults in the United States would go to church if a friend would invite them. How about that? 25% of the adults in the United States would go to a church if they were invited by a friend. Well, guess what? You got a church where people will feel loved. You got a church where people will come in and get Dunkin' Donuts coffee and food. What other church are you going to come in and get ice cream? We've had fried chicken served here. Are you kidding me? This is a church that exudes with the love of Jesus Christ in every way. When I see people coming in, and, and volunteering their, their gifts before God. That's what this church is about. Bring your friends here. Let them see what the impact of the Holy Spirit is on a life. Let them see what it means to love Jesus and to be com committed to Jesus in such a way. Let them understand how your life has been changed forever. Here is the poster of Jesus. I walk with it. It's part of my life in everything they do, I do. When they see me, they should see him. All right? That's what they should see. And one of the approaches as we, as we close this message on, this, on, on understanding the approach of, of reaching out to the lost is the service approach. And there's a great lesson about the service approach in Scripture in Acts 9, 36. And there you see the story of Tabitha, also called Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. Always doing good and helping the poor. She wasn't a speaker. 
She wasn't a missionary, but what she did is she prepared clothes and helping the poor. Can you imagine that that had such an impact? It had such an impact that when she died, her disciples went and got Peter, brought him back, and, she, and he raised her from the dead. He raised her from the dead because she was that impactful to the kingdom. Wouldn't you like to have God say that about you? That, look, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be an evangelist. You can just be that simple person who is serving God and touching the lives of people in such an incredible way that their lives are changed forever as she reached out and helped the poor. Oh, God, give us the grace to understand this. And so the important lesson here as I wrap this up is clearly this, that whatever style you are drawn to in terms of reaching out to the lost, the important thing is that God teaches you to work within the talents and gifts that you have as you walk out that door and you impact people and tell people about him. Not about yourself, but about him and what he can do for them just in the way he can do for you. Next week, we're going to talk about spiritual conversations, how you begin those conversations, what you do with that as we bring this uh, section of, of teaching to a close. And so, church, uh, please stand as we, we do a final prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for your words. Lord, I ask that it resonate in our hearts this week, that it grows and that we be committed to serving you, Father, that we break the huddle and go to the line of scrimmage, that we are committing ourselves now to reach out to people that are need to hear it, that this is the call of you on our life, God. Let us not be the same. Don't let us be, be unchanged, Lord, but change us to be able to be those kind of people. Bless our people, protect them, and bring them back safely next week as we continue to study your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.